Good morning. It's a beautiful day outside, is it not? It is. It is. I mean, it'd be better if Geelong had won. But no, just kidding. Just kidding. Actually, I'm a St Kilda supporter for anyone who knows, and we did pretty well this year in the AFL, so I was pretty happy with that. But on to more important matters. Today we continue our series. We continue our series on making God possible. God is possible. And this, this is our mission. This is our mission as Christians. I don't know if, if you've ever thought about it that way, but if you have a life mission, it's to share your faith in many myriad and different ways. Our mission as Christian people, our call, is to share our faith, to share it. Share it in action, share it in love, share it in ways that others can see. This is the great commission that we were given as disciples of Jesus Christ to share our faith. And this is our series. But how do we explain God, Jesus, to others? What a topic. And I don't think any of us are equipped to do it properly. Such a hard thing sometimes. The good news of the gospel is exactly that. It is good news. It's a message of hope, a message of faith, a message of love. There is an idea in our society today that faith is a deeply personal thing and that it should be kept to oneself, quietly. Keep it inside. It's okay to have faith, just don't tell anyone else. Keep it inside. And this, in fact, flies in complete contradiction to the New Testament that says we are to be sharers. If our faith is not worth sharing with someone, then it's not really worth much at all, is it? For many of us, talking to people about faith is such a daunting task. It's a hard one. How do I get the right words in my mouth? What if I say something wrong or they don't understand or disagree and want to argue with me? What if they get offended? What if I break a relationship? We don't just feel this way because of our own insecurities. That's one part of it. But we also feel this way because theology is deep and hard and tricky. On a surface level, sharing our faith can be relatively easy. We can love others, and that's a simple way of sharing our faith. But on a deeper level, we are not all gifted to be theologians, teachers, And although we may know the truth of the gospel deep in our hearts, we may not be great at articulating it to others. This internal dilemma sometimes stops us from sharing in the first place. And I do not want to trivialize that at all this morning because it is actually a very important thing for us to struggle with. It's a real problem for many Christians. In today's passage, we find Jesus being asked questions and asking questions. And Jesus flips the script in our passage today. The verses leading up to the back of our passage had Jesus answering tricky questions they were throwing at him, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, wanting to trip him up. But Jesus turns it around and he asks them a question, the Pharisees a question, about the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who was to come and deliver Israel and set all things right. And in many ways, when we share our faith with others, 
We're asking people about the Messiah. We are asking people about Jesus Christ. That may not be how we say it. What do you think of the Messiah? Whose son is he? That's not necessarily how we would phrase it. But the central point of the Christian message is Jesus Christ himself. That is the central point of the Christian message. He is the Messiah. He is our Messiah. Those that believe in Jesus believe that Jesus is the anointed one who has come to deliver not only his people Israel, but his people, humanity, mankind. Jesus is the Messiah. Of course, in this passage, Jesus says, the Messiah, whose son is he? The Pharisees, they respond by saying that he is the son of David. This is a very good theological response. Technically, they're very correct. For this is what the Old Testament says about the Messiah, that he will be connected to the line of David. He will be a descendant of the line of David. And retrospectively, we actually very well know this about Jesus. He is the son of David. He is the son of Abraham. He is the son of Adam. He's the son of Mary and Joseph. He's a lot of sons. And the New Testament also calls him the son of man and, of course, the son of God. So they weren't wrong. They weren't wrong to say the Messiah will be from the line of David, the son of David. When explaining our faith to others, we often run into this same problem about Jesus. Who is he? Who is this guy? The problem being that people do not generally accept, if they haven't grown up with any faith, any Christian experience, that Jesus is the Son of God. They just think that he's a mere man, that he is, in fact, a son of David, just a descendant of Israel, just a mere man. But to be the Messiah, he has to be much more than this. See, Jesus here quotes King David's words from Psalm 110, and these words were accepted in Jewish culture and society as prophetic about the Messiah. The Lord, that is God, said to my Lord, that's supposed to be the Messiah, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. And Jesus said, if David thus calls him Lord, how can he be his son? Everyone with me? It's a bit of a tricky, jumpy one, isn't it? Just like sharing our faith, tricky. Now, it wouldn't make a lot of sense for David to call one of his own sons Lord, to call one of his own sons Lord. I don't know about you, but if you were to call one of your children Lord, uh, I don't, that doesn't quite work. There's something, something messed up there. If I said to my five-year-old son, oh, Lord Parker Lennon, what may I do to serve thee? Uh, I think there's a little bit of a dynamic of authority that's gone astray, and uh, something's not quite working right. I'm sure he would love that, though, by the way. My son would love that. I'm sure if you have children in the room, your children would love that, too, no matter what age they are. But that's not how it works. And people would way rather think of Jesus, say, for instance, in our modern day, as a mere human than even consider that he could be more than that, could be Messiah, could be Lord, could be more than human. Because to do so 
changes the dynamic entirely. The understanding of power and who is in control. If Jesus is Messiah and Lord, then he has a power and authority to change things significantly. If he's God, he has the power to change everything. We would say as Christians, of course, that Jesus is Lord. He's the Lord in this passage in Psalm 110 that he's discussing with the Pharisees. And in a weird paradox of time, he was the Lord talking to the Pharisees about the Lord of David, who happened to be the Lord sitting right in front of them. Lots of lords. He was the Lord in that space and time. Once again, to accept that he is a mere man would shake that paradigm. Jesus was challenging them. We also find ourselves in this position when sharing our faith with others. We believe Jesus to be Lord, but others may not. So for many, the big question is, who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? Was he all that he claimed to be? If so, how can we know that? What about supernatural elements in the Bible? What about science? What about other religions and faith? What about my free will and choice? What about predestination? Oh, that's a tricky one. What about pain in this life? What about suffering and heartache? How do I deal with that if Jesus is who he claims to be? All of these questions and more will come up when we share our faith. And for good reason, they're important questions and should be answered. But in order to answer or begin to answer any of them, we must come back to Jesus himself. Jesus is the starting point. Some famous authors, C.S. Lewis, Thomas Aquinas, G.K. Chesterton, among others, have made known a certain assertion about Jesus, that he can fit into three categories, they would say. He was either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. Jesus was either a liar, lying about everything, a hooli dooly loony, not knowing what he was doing, or he actually was Lord. The idea is that Jesus himself, in what he says and does, leaves us with only these options. I've found, personally, that generally, they're fairly accurate. Most people see Jesus in one of these three categories. In variations, not in full. They either think he's a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's Lord. To engage people in conversation about faith today, it helps to ascertain, to consider where they sit in relation to their view of Jesus, using these ideas or others. Because this is a simplification. People see Jesus in all sorts of different ways, not just those three. But at times, this simple tool can be useful. Once we figure out where people sit, it's important that we don't go on the offensive and try to argue with people when sharing our faith. Has anyone ever tried that? Never tried arguing about faith? It's like an arm wrestle. <laughs> Lots of exertion and effort. And uh, often it doesn't turn out too well. At least that's been my experience. Jesus in our passage today is trying to prove a point. He's trying to prove a point to the Pharisees. And so are we when we share our faith. I'm not saying everyone out there we share faith with is a Pharisee, but when we share our faith, we're trying to prove a point as well. But it is significant and important how we do that. Because there is a huge difference when sharing our faith between 
evangelism, and what we call apologetics. The apologetics is this idea that we defend the faith, the ideas of the faith, and that means that we are speaking in defense. We may need arguments that are articulated. Point one, two, three, four, proves I am right, bam. When we're sharing our faith, we need to be careful to not go straight into an argument with others. Apologetics is beautiful and important, very important for the Christian church. And we do need to be able to show scriptural and otherwise reasons for why we believe what we believe. And there is definite crossover between these two. My teacher background's coming up now. I've got this Venn diagram up on the screen showing crossover. I've got my teacher showing. But there is, there is definite crossover between the two. But if you can argue somebody into faith, then inevitably the old adage goes that someone else can argue them out of it or they can argue themselves out of it. If it's just an argument, we can be persuaded back another way. There is a place for defending our faith vigorously. But when sharing our faith, we're not looking for an argument. We're in fact looking for the exact opposite of an argument. We are looking for a conversation and for people to engage and want to know more and want to ask questions. To be intrigued. To feel a need to know. And that's not all on us. God's Spirit does the majority of that work. Does all of that work many would say. In our passage today, Jesus was engaging perhaps in apologetics, and he won the argument. He won the argument. No one was able to give him an answer, the text says, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. He won. To that point, they had been peppering him with them. There's a powerful lesson here about evangelism and sharing our faith if we will listen. We don't have to argue. We don't have to have all the answers either to share our faith. If we get into an argument whereby people are back and forward, arm wrestling it out, we're drifting away from sharing and drifting into an argument, prohibiting genuine questions. An old minister once said to me about faith and about evangelism, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. People don't care how smart you are and how much knowledge you have in your brain and how well you can argue. If you're talking to someone about faith, they want to know that you actually care about them, about your faith, that you're real, you're genuine, you're not trying to win an argument. You don't need a megaphone to share your faith. You don't need a microphone to share your faith. You don't need to have all the answers and you don't have to have a ready argument prep to go. You don't need to be special, although you all are. Oh, everyone felt that. It was a nice moment, wasn't it? We all are special. And we might not think it, but we all are gifted to do this. In some measure, we are gifted to share. We're a gift to our families and our friends to share our faith. For many of us, this means pressing an imaginary button in our minds, a button that says, uninstall the lies that I have believed that I can't do this, that I can't share my faith, that I am unable or not competent or will make a fool of myself or 
won't be able to get the message across. The only thing you actually need to share your faith, the only thing you need as a starting point, theology is good and it's important, the only thing you need is your story. Your story of encounter with God, your testimony, how Jesus, the Messiah, has changed your life. That's it. That's really all you need to start sharing your faith, to tell your story. And that's a, it's a powerful thing when it's your story. You don't have to have any perfect answers because it's your story. You can tell it freely and honestly. That's all you need. That's all we need to share. How you came to believe in Jesus. I like to be pragmatic with these things, and I'm going to finish in this way. I've been inspired recently by 1 Corinthians 13, 13, a chapter about love, if you know it. And uh, our passage today talked about love, these great commandments, and I have been inspired by this passage to think of practical ways that I can share my faith. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, and now faith, hope, and love abide. These three and the greatest of these is love. How do I explain my faith to someone who doesn't have faith? Well, first of all, I use my story. I use my story. I share my faith, faith, hope, and love. What God has done in my life. Secondly, I talk of the hope that that has brought, the hope in this life and the hope of the life to come, how it's changed things for me in the moment, how peace is now a part of my life because of my faith in God. I have an eternal hope. And lastly, love. I find a way to show love to the person that I'm sharing my faith with, perhaps practically, providing needs for them, providing means for them, showing them that I'm not just wanting to have an argument, I'm wanting to love. Because Jesus said that his followers, his disciples would be known by their love, their love for one another. So when sharing our faith, all we need is our story to share the hope within us and the love of God. I pray that this week and in the coming weeks as we continue our series, we would look for the opportunities that God puts in our path to share our faith. This is our mission. Faith, hope, and love to the world. To show God. And I believe this is the easiest way for us to explain it. Faith, hope, and love. That is the way that people will know the message of the gospel in our lives. This is our mission. God is possible for people, making God possible for people. Don't get into arguments about faith. Share your faith. In Jesus' name, amen.